Okay, so um, last week we ended off with chapter 43. And remember we said we're gonna pick up with chapter 44 um, this week. And we are also gonna do, we're gonna do 44 and 45 this week. Um, I think we'll be able to do it no problem. Obviously, if we don't finish, we can always continue next week. So we're gonna, I'm gonna start with a little bit of a review from chapter 41 because that's the beginning of our section of the section that's gonna go all the way to chapter 50. Do we remember what we're talking about? What are we doing from chapters 41 to 50? Um, we are discussing- yeah, how to create emotions for God, right? So what emotions are we trying to create? We're trying to create love and, and fear slash awe. Um, and we are learning different meditations to produce these emotions. So we're not meditating on love and fear. We're meditating on different scenarios and different mantras and different thoughts to get us to experience these emotions, okay? So chapter 41, starting off this section, we talked about, okay, which emotions do we wanna try to accomplish? And that's love and fear. And we, and we discussed which one has to come first, which one needs to be the foundation for our journey. And we said, ah, right? Because if you don't have the foundation of respect, the love doesn't land right, right? Remember, we gave an example of the flowers and the coming home late, right? So even if you do, if even if you act loving, but it doesn't come, if your foundation isn't respect, it's not going to feel like love. So it's very, very important to start with that emotion, okay? So that was chapter 42, 41. 42, we developed our awe and fear, right? And we talked about the lower level of fear, which is, we said, is no small matter, right? Remember that whole thing, it's no small matter to have fear of, of God. And then we said, well, yeah, it kind of is actually a big deal. And we said, well, 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 for Moses, it's not a big deal, right? For Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not a big deal. And we're like, okay, well, we're like, how does that help us? And what did we learn? We learned that inside of us, every single one of us has a piece of Moshe Rabbeinu. What's the piece of Moshe Rabbeinu inside of us? Our Da'as, right? Our Da'as is the piece of Moshe inside of us. What does the Da'as do? What's the function of Da'as? It's taking abstract ideas, which anytime we're thinking about God, it's abstract, right? Because God is hard to grasp and making it concrete and how concrete concrete enough to produce an emotion from it right so what if you actually think about what we're doing it's quite fascinating we're taking an abstract idea which is very hard to wrap our brains around but not only are we wrapping our brains around it but we're creating emotions from it that's the function of das that's what das does for us and that is a gift from moshe that's a piece of moshe that's inside of all of us is this sounding familiar? Okay, good. Um, okay, so that was chapter 42. Chapter 43, we discussed two levels of love, okay? 
So what were the two levels of love we, um, we now know? We have Avaraba, which we said is this great love, right? Do we have anything to do with this love? No, this does not come through meditation. This comes as a gift from God to someone who is already perfect, okay? So for example, a tzaddik. So this really, this love is a great gift. We don't pay that much attention to it right now because it's not really what we're striving for. It's not really in our wheelhouse, but it is this great love, love, love. That's almost like a reward for all your previous work, okay? Then we talked about the second love, which is avas olam, the worldly love, right? And how do we produce this worldly love? We meditate. What do we meditate on? We meditate on how, on what we love about the world, with the physical things in the world we love, the nature around us, all the physical things that we love. And then we translate that to God, because who creates all these things that we love? Who's responsible for all this, these loving things in our life? God. So if you love the things, you love, you love God, right? You translate that love that you're feeling for physical objects for, to God. Okay, then at the end of chapter 43, we discussed two levels of fear, two more levels of fear, right? And we, we said, we don't want to call it the shame-based fear, right? Because it doesn't feel right in modern times. But what we're trying to say in these two levels of fear, the higher level is we feel like kind of like wrong and guilty for existing when we know Hashem is really everything. So how could we be taking up space in this world when Hashem is really all of it, right? So it makes us want to kind of shrink it, shrink and be absorbed back into godliness, okay? And then the lower level is very similar to the level of love we just discussed. And that is, look at the world, the awesomeness of the world, right? And the awe that you have for the world, apply that to God, Right. And then you can produce the, the awe and amazement and respect that you feel for the world and how insignificant and small we are. And we can apply that to Hashem. OK, so that's review. That's a lot of information, but this is review. And um, I just wanted to kind of set, set the stage for what we're going to be doing today. Any questions before we continue on the review? OK. So now we're going to go to chapter 44. And in chapter 44, what we're going to discuss is two more levels of love. Okay. And these, there's, there's many, many varying degrees of emotions of love and fear, depending on the degree of your focus, right? And, and depending on the degree of, of where you're holding in your life, right? So we're not going to be talking about every single level and every single scenario, but we're going to do the basics. So just keep in mind that there's many, many levels and how much you put into your focus is how much is, is going to determine what level of love or awe you're feeling. Okay. So these two levels of love are interesting because they're a combination of the two loves that we talked about in chapter 43. Okay, so what I remember, we just reviewed, what are the two loves of chapter 43? We have Avaraba, the great love that you, that you just get as a gift. And then you have 
Avas Olam, which is the love, the worldly love that you um, work on through meditation. So these two loves are called hybrid loves and they combine, they have aspects of both of these kinds of loves. What does that mean? It means you are inherently born with the innate ability to achieve these, these loves, but it takes um, work. Okay, so you inherently have these this ability. You inherently, um, sorry, lost my train of thought. We inherently or have the, the, the ability to access these loves, but if we don't work at it and meditate on it, they're not, they're not going to go anywhere, right? So you need both. It feels a little bit like a paradox, but as we explain it more, it's going to make more sense. Okay. So the first one is called, these have really long, like they're not like roll off the tongue names. They're really, they're, the name is actually the concept of the love. So just bear with me. But the first one is called in English, my soul, I desire you at night. Okay. My soul, I desire me at, you at night. So what does that mean? The God that enlivens me, it means Hashem that enlivens me. So at night, when we're tired and we're weary from a long day, you turn to Hashem and you ask him to continue to give you life. That's the kind of love we're talking about. The love that you desire to be alive. Okay, and you actually want to think about it like when our life is in jeopardy, when we feel like we are in a situation where it's not a given or mentally, emotionally, physically, right? And then you, you, you yearn for life. That's what I want you to think about during this love, okay? So the desire to live is an inherent innate desire, okay? To foster this love, you need to contemplate and think about this concept of Hashem is the one that enlivens you and gives you life. And when you desire this life, this is how and who you should think about in this, in this um, scenario. Okay, so um, any questions? There's some perplexed faces. Okay, <laughs> we'll go on to the next one and then we'll, we'll, we'll put it all together, okay? So um, basically what I want you to think about, if you take that basic desire of life, that basic desire that we all have to live, I'm talking about in general, right? There are, there are circumstances and situations that step out of that right? But in general, we're born with a desire to live. If there's an extenuating circumstance, let's not get distracted by that for, for the practical purposes of what we're trying to talk about here, okay? So that basic desire you have to live, meditate on it, okay? Think about the feelings that you already have that you are born with to live and um, apply it to Hashem. He's, God is the life force in us. Think about that. Who, what's keeping us alive? The, the godly life force inside of us is what enlivens us, right? So meditate on that. Think about what, who, like what is this, this, this living thing inside of us that gives us life? And that should produce a love, right? Okay. Um, the second one 
is called the son who strives. Okay, what does that mean? The son who wants to please his parents. Okay, so it is hardwired into us as well that we want to please our parents. Again, if that's not your experience, that's or somebody's experience, that's out of the norm, right? There's circumstances that put you in that. But normally, we are born to please our parents. And that's why even as adult, do you ever, like, I'm 37 years old, like, I still, like, find myself thinking about, like, are my parents going to be proud of me, you know, like, am I, like, are they proud of me, are they, you know, like, that is a natural thing that we have as humans and as, and as children, Um, so don't, like, it's not something that we really grow out of, it's not immature, it's not, codependent right obviously if it's in a way that is unhealthy then we need to work on that but the natural desire that we have that we want our parents to be pleased with us and proud of us that is a very natural feeling so that natural feeling that we have and to the point where we would give of ourselves right for our parents we would give of ourselves to our parents to that extent we should foster that feeling for god to the point where we would almost nullify ourselves for him. Okay, so those are the two types of love that are called hybrid loves. Now, I want to talk about what these two new loves that we just spoke about, what they have in common and what's different about them. Okay, so what they have in common is that they're both taking innate feelings that we have inside of us and meditating them and fostering them and applying them to God. Okay, so these are feelings that we're born with for in the physical material world, and we're taking those feelings and applying them to God, right? Both of those loves have that. What's different about it is that the first one is what we're really meditating on. What we're saying is, I love God as much as life itself, right? Because remember, what are we meditating on? The fact that Hashem keeps us alive, right? We want to live. We want, we have a desire to stay alive and who sustains us? Hashem. So we love Hashem as much as we love life itself, right? That would just be in a nutshell, what we're talking about in the first love. The second love is I love God more than life itself, right? We would get, we're almost giving up ourselves for God. Okay. We're actually sacrificing in order to please Hashem. You see the difference? First one, we love God as much as life itself. The second one, we love God more than life itself. Okay? Now, these are very, very, very lofty levels of love. Okay? To love Hashem more than your, than life itself, more than your own life, is a very high level. Okay? But the feeling is already there right? We have that little drop, that innate, we have the what to start with. So we start to foster that experience, that, that emotion, but we're not necessarily saying that we're going to ultimately get there and achieve it. It's very, very lofty. Okay. Now, as we close chapter 44, I want to reiterate, there's a lot of different loves. We just, we basically just talked about four different loves. Okay. Which one do you think we should be focusing on? Out of the four loves we just discussed, which one do you think is the most practical, the most um, important, the most um, productive? 
of all the four loves. You can unmute or put, put something in your chat box. The last one. The last one that we the need to love. Love God more than life love itself? Love God more than life itself. Okay. Anyone else have thoughts? Maybe it's not practical, but that's how I feel it should be. Okay. I hear that. Okay. So um, I'm not surprised you said that, Kari. It fits right into your wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but what the Tanya says is those important, those loves are very important, but they're less practical, right? Because so much of it is not necessarily attainable or achievable. Like Avas, oh, Avas, Ava Rabba, you can't even, don't even try because it's nothing to do with meditation, right? At least the two loves we talked about today is part meditation, part inherent. It's a mixture. Avas Olam is the worldly love is determined by how much effort we put in into our meditation. So it's really in our control. We don't have to like rely on anything else. So if you want to focus on something that's the most productive and you're going to get the most bang for your buck and you're going to get the most mileage out of Avasolam is where I would start. Okay. Because it's all dependent on your meditation and your effort. And it's also what we think about is very accessible, right? We're thinking about worldly things, things that are already light us up, things that already we have positive feelings for. And then we just have to recognize that all this comes from God and that will foster the love that, that we're trying to accomplish. Does that make sense? Okay. So that was chapter 44. Um, we're doing great on time. If anyone has any questions before we move on to chapter 45, it, this, does this feel as clear as possible? Cause it's a lot of information, right? There's a lot being thrown at you about love and fear and there's still more to come, but, and I'm not, we're not expected to know the ins and outs of all of it. Um, we just want to be familiar with all these different levels and what they mean and all these different options of what we can meditate on. We don't have to be experts on them, right? So um, just keep in mind that it's a lot of information. Okay, so if we're good to go, we will start chapter 45. Okay, so chapter 45 starts like this. There are three main emotions, okay? We said really there's two main emotions, but because really everything comes from um, chesed and gvura, right? Kindness and severity. But the third one, teferas, which is translated as beauty, is still considered a parent emotion as well, even though it's a combination of the two. But for practical purposes, it's also a main emotion, okay? So let's chart it out for a second. Chesed means kindness right? And that's where, that's the origin of love. Gvura is containment. And that's the origin of our awe slash fear. Okay. Teferas is beauty. And it's the harmonious combination of chesed and gvura. The two extremes, they're two opposite extremes. The harmony that happens between the two is teferas is beauty okay so is that the torso um yes if you have that chart right the chesed gura teferas the torso yeah 
Um, so how is Tiferes beauty emotionally expressed, right? Because we said kindness is expressed as love. Containment and severity is expressed as awe. So what's the beauty expressed as? How do we, how do we emotionally express beauty? Um, and that would be with rachamim, which is, which is translated as mercy slash compassion. I know in the modern world, mercy and compassion can be translated are two different things. For the Tanya, we're going to use them synonymously together. Okay, They're, they mean both mercy and compassion. So the, it's the combination of love and awe is compassion. Okay, we're actually going to break that down and it's very fascinating. Okay, so true chesed, true kindness is unadulterated kindness. Okay, it's indiscriminate. It doesn't discriminate to who you are giving the kindness to, right? It's not like, are you worthy? Are you not worthy? who is as appropriate or not appropriate, right? It's kindness just flows forth without discrimination. It's magnanimous, right? Anyone can be a recipient to this kindness. With me? Gevura is the opposite. It's judgment and, and discrimination. The, the, the whole concept of Gevura is discrimination. And we just have to remind ourselves living in this world, not all discrimination is bad, right? Sometimes you discriminate between what's more deserving, what needs my attention more, this or that, right? That's discriminating. Um, so that's gvura, that's judgment. Chesed says, what does Chesed say? Um, I'm not looking to see who's worthy, right? The recipient might not be, but I'm just giving, right? I'm not worried about who's on the other end of my gift and my kindness, okay? That could be problematic at times, right? Um, Gavura says, I judge, I'm judging, I'm very judgmental of the worthiness of what I'm doing and um, I withhold, right? My natural instinct is to withhold until it's like almost like guilty till proven innocent, right? You have to really, really earn it and deserve it to be under Gvura, like to, to pass the Gvura inspection, okay? So Gvura is much more withholding, right? Does that make sense? Tiferes comes along and has this beautiful, harmonious experience between the Chesed and the Gvura. It says, what does Tiferes say? It says, I give um, to whom and when it's appropriate, right? So I give the money to the person who's actually holding his hand out and saying, I need the money. Chesed can end up giving money to a billionaire because it doesn't focus on who's on the recipient. But Teferis takes things into consideration. It combines the, the giving with the discrimination to have the perfect balance. Yeah? Okay. So what is so what are we doing in chapter 45? Chapter 45 tells us that to you that we should use our rachamim, our mercy and compassion to tap into our love. Okay? So it 
when we, so we're, we're talking about another form of meditation. It's easy to think that we're trying to produce a third emotion, but what we're, what we're doing is we're not producing compassion. We're using compassion to get to our love because sometimes our love is not accessible. We can't tap into the love. So what's a backdoor entrance to love? When you have mercy and compassion, that evokes love. When you feel compassion for somebody, usually this, the thing that comes along with it is the love, right? So if we are struggling with, with creating this feeling of love for God, we're going to use compassion to get there. That's what this chapter is about, okay? So whom should we have compassion for? What are, I mean, what are we talking about here? How are we using this emotion of compassion? Um, so we're using the emotion of compassion for God himself. Why do we have compassion and mercy for God? What, why, like, why do, we need to, why do we need to have mercy for him? What's happening? If we think about the fact that Hashem has to come down into this world, right? and constrict himself enough to be here in this world and is now a piece of him is now in your soul and it feels like a deep dark exile because now god is kind of trapped in the confines of your body and your soul um and it's repressed because if you think about it god being inside of us he doesn't get to be himself all the way right he has to he's he's repressed he only gets to express himself when we allow him to, right? So a lot of times God feels kind of stuck inside of us, like he's in exile, right? So if we take pity and have compassion on the God that loves us so much that he constricted himself and to come down into this world, that compassion will then create love. Because, oh my gosh, the God who loves me so much is willing to constrict himself to the point where he is bound in exile. Um, and, the, and the quote that the Tanya uses is actually God, the king is bound in the gutters, right? That's the quote that the Tanya uses. And what, and what does the Zohar say? The Zohar say, says that the gutters is our, is our mind, right? What's the gutters? Our mind, God is trapped in our mind, having to live through our thoughts and our emotions, like everything that's going on inside of our brain, we are subjecting God to. Did you ever think about that? I never thought about that. <laughs> so if you think about that, that God is in our soul and he sees everything that's going on and he's trapped inside of us and everything that we experience and everything that we think and everything that we do is that's what we're putting God through. We can feel a little bit of compassion, Right feel a little bad for you, God, like, ooh. So, and then when we have, when we open that compassion door, that leads us to love because the things that you have compassion on, you usually care about and love, right? So if we contemplate the plight of God, the plight of the godly soul, we will automatically be moved to compassion, okay? So thinking about the situation that God is in arouses compassion, okay? And that is the back door that's going to get us to the love. Now, the Tana brings an example, which is a little bit abstract. So we're going we're gonna to talk about it. And if we have any questions, please let me know, because it's not super like concrete. 
Okay. But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to attempt to tackle this. This idea is personified by Yaakov's encounter with Rachel at the well. Okay. So when Jacob went to Haran, I believe, and he encountered Rachel at the well, and it says that he kissed her and he cried. Okay. So Yaakov represents, what is Yaakov's um, emotion that he represents? He represents compassion to Ferris, right? Because Avram represented chesed, kindness. Um, Yitzchak represented gvura, severity. And um, Yaakov represents the perfect har har harmony of the two, which is to Ferris. So Yaakov represents Rachel. And Rachel actually represents Malchus, which is the last of the emotional attributes, which also is referred to as the bank of the souls, like the, the, the source of all the souls. That's what Rachel, that's what she personifies, right? So what are we saying here? The compassion cries for the souls, right? You're with me so far? Lifts its eyes to the compassionate father in heaven, or no, lifts, lifts, his eye, lifts his eyes to the compassionate father and kisses her. Okay? Bear with me. What are the kisses? The kisses are the mouth of the Jew being placed on the mouth of God, which is words of Torah. So when we um, involve ourselves in Torah, that's like kissing God. Okay? And then hugs represent the mitzvahs because the arms of the Jew, right, in, in surround the limbs of God. What are the limbs of God? The two are for are the 248 positive commandments are referred to the limbs because we have, you know, it, it corresponds to that. And that's the limbs of the king. So when we kiss God, when we study Torah, we're kissing God. And when we hug God, when we do mitzvahs, we hug God. Okay, you with me so far? So compassion upon the Jewish people, which is the plight of the soul, leads to the involvement of Torah study and the performance of mitzvahs. Okay, so when we have compassion on our soul, which, what are we saying is basically having compassion on God, right? Which we kind of personify with this Yaakov and Rachel dynamics, right? So when we have compassion for the soul, for the plight of the soul, because it's down in the gutters, that's having compassion for God. It leads us to want to hug and kiss God, which is studying his Torah and doing his mitzvahs. Who is that clear? Does that make sense? Are there troubles? Do we have troubles? <laughs> okay, so basically, I don't want you to get so distracted by the Yaakov and Rachel metaphor. I did want to bring it in because the Tanya does talk about it. But what I want you to really, if you want to take something home with you, what I want you to take home with you is when we have compassion for our soul, this is what I want you to, to leave with. If you have compassion for your soul, which means you're having compassion for God, right? Compassion will lead us to hug and kiss God, which is to perform mitzvahs and study Torah. And that 
where does that love come from? Which will lead us to love, right? Which will lead us to love. The love comes from the compassion, right? Behind all those actions of Torah study and, and mitzvahs, what's behind those actions? Love. How are we getting to that love? If it's not accessible straight ahead, we access it through compassion. Yeah? Okay. So what are we saying here? Compassion redeems love. And I, I really want you to think about this because we're using this for our relationship with God, right? We're using this as a meditation to produce love of God. But I also want to point out that this is a life skill, okay? Sometimes it's hard to access love. Sometimes it's hard to access that feeling of, of kindness and magnanimous feelings towards another person, right? It's hard to access that sometimes. A way to access it when it's not easy is to insert compassion. When we can have compassion for somebody, right? And I don't want, and I want to use not sympathy, right? When, but when we can have compassion, because sympathy allows us to be up here and be like, oh, I feel bad for you, you know? Compassion, like my daughter, um, ZC, who's 11, learned in school, compassion is stepping into somebody's shoes, right? Being able to, um, feel the pain, right? Um, and obviously not exactly, but you can take your own life experiences and, uh, and, and through that, understand what someone else might be going through, right? So we can use that as a life skill. When we have a hard time connecting with someone out of love, we can turn to compassion, which will usually end up leading us to love. Okay, so the compassion redeems love. So um, we're going to act, wow, we did really good on time because we're almost done. We did 44 and 45, and I'm going to let you go early. Um, but when we think about the plight of our godly soul, feel compassion for it. It deserves it. It's literally in the gutters. What we put our soul through, it deserves some compassion. What do you think? My soul definitely does, right? So that will then motivate you to love. And how do we express love? Through hugs and kisses, right? That's how we express love, through hugs and kisses. How do we express love to God? Through our spiritual hugs and kisses, which are Torah study and the performance of mitzvahs. Okay, so now we have chapter 44 and chapter 45. Chapter 44, we learned two new um, categories of love, right? Different ways to access, to create the emotion of love, right? Love God as much as life itself or love God more than life itself. That was 44. Chapter 45 is talking about compassion, which it feels like we're introducing a third emotion to think about, but what we're really doing is using compassion to produce the love that might be challenging in the moment to, to access. Okay, great. Any questions before we meditate?
maybe I'll make you meditate for 20 minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't do that. I don't think I can do that, honestly. <laughs> um, okay. So we're going to get comfortable. We're going to do some meditation. Um, and with this meditation, what I hope to do is to give you the points that are practical, that you can go home thinking, and you can even, you know, if you want later on, write down. And these are things that we can actively meditate on. It's so fun to do meditations within, within these chapters because we're literally told what to meditate. I don't have to make it up. Like we're really told, like, these are our meditation. These are the things that we want to think about. Right? Okay. So take a deep breath. Now, I want you to, to try to tap into your intentional breath. What is the benefit of pra practicing your intentional breath? First of all, you're going to get a lot deeper into your, into your breath practice. And second of all, when we're super intentional about our breath, it gives our mind something to focus on. So it's, it's less um, distracted. Okay, so we don't want to be thinking about any of the concepts yet. We want really our mind to just really focus on that breath to get us into our meditation. Okay, so we're going to do inhale. While you inhale, I want your chest to be expanding through your heart center. You want this part of your body to expand it on your inhale. With your exhale, I want you to try, this is something that I've been practicing. It's very, very hard, but I want you to try to initiate your exhale from your pubic bone. When you get it, it's, it's amazing. Okay. So focus on that for a few minutes, your inhale and your exhale. While you're working on your intentional breath, I want you to visualize beautiful, great, big, shining light that shines into your body and melts away any residual tension or stress that you might be holding in your body. First, I think it would be helpful if you observed where you hold your tension and where you hold your stress and then kind of target that bright light in that area and just Imagine, visualize all that tension just melting away. Just kind of feel your body like liquid, just like melting and open and loose. Okay, now that we're hopefully a little bit looser, um, I'm going to 
say and kind of repeat the points that I want you to really take home with you, okay? Contemplate how God is the source of all your life and energy. Crave for him like a hungry man craves for food. Crave for him like a dying person craves for life. Okay, so that's the first type of hybrid love that we talked about in chapter 44. Contemplate how God is your source of life and crave for it like you're, you you're losing it. Think about that. Just kind of observe how does that feel to think about it? Does it feel applicable to you? For an utterly selfless love, contemplate God as your father, whom you love so much that you would do anything for him, even if it costs you your life. So the second hybrid love, remember, as we spoke about, you love God more than life itself. This is very lofty. This is very hard to achieve. But we do have the innate ability inside of us to think about that kind of stuff. Okay, from chapter 45, your soul is sacred and pure before it was placed in your body. It was one with God. Now that sacred, precious soul is trapped in a physical body. Thoughts such as these ought to arouse compassion for your soul. So think about where your soul came from. Think about where it is now that should um evoke compassion. This meditation will empower you to connect to God with every mitzvah as an intimate bond, a kiss. Think about it, guys. Think about every time we do a mitzvah, um, every time we study Torah specifically, we're kissing God. Every time we do a mitzvah, we're hugging God. You start to have that perspective on the mitzvahs that we do. It's way more motivating, right? Like it's, wow, like this is a, this is cool. So just think about these thoughts for a few more seconds. I want you to um, kind of contemplate like how you can incorporate these meditations and thoughts in your life, obviously in a small way. Now slowly bring your attention back to your breath. So kind of let your mind relax and focus your attention back into your breath. So try to um, catch that intentional breath again, right? Expansion through the chest, exhale through your pubic bone and all the way up.
Okay, you start to wiggle your fingers and your toes, kind of become more aware of the sights, smells, sounds around you, bring you more ground you into your, where you're sitting, where you, how you feel your body and in the space that you're in. Move your body. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Okay, beautiful. Any questions, thoughts, observations, struggles that we need to address before we, I let you go 13 minutes early? I'm cool. Okay, there are so many times where I wish I could hug God and kiss him. Okay, Karee, you're doing that. When you do a mitzvah, you're hugging God. Now I want you to visualize that. Okay, so every time we do a mitzvah and every time we're studying Torah, right now we're kissing God because we're studying Torah. Think about that. Think and, and have that intention. You're going to feel it. Right? It's I very feel fun. it. You feel it, right? You feel the it. past couple of years, I've been, ever since I started really studying and, and davening every day and all that, and so many times I've, you know, even cried and because it just, I just felt like it. And, um, and it just, I sometimes feel like, um, I don't like to say the word pity, but I, I, I almost, I, I feel so bad for God. Well, literally you're doing what Tan is asking you to do, right? You're accessing your compassion and being like, wow, God, like, ew, I kind of feel bad for you that you're kind of stuck inside of me. Um, and that compassion leads to this great love, which leads us to want to hug and kiss him. Right. So this is I, I envision this chapter in action. I envision myself hugging him and what it would be like and how, how Gosh, tight I could I wish do it. And I have, uh, you're amazing, <laughs> but I'm not You're so but I'm, tuned. I'm doing, but I'm not working on it. I'm not working on that. It's so just happening. You got a special gift that you just have to enhance it and make it bigger and better and greater. Right. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah. God. Thank God is right. Okay. Any other thoughts or questions or feelings? Okay, guys, we are done. Chapter 45. We have like pat yourselves on the back. Um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, next week I will be here. We will do probably the next two chapters. Um, but we'll see when I prepare, I'll try to figure out what we're going to do. Um, but I'm going to stop the recording.